Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, August 10th. I do apologize for the lack of podcast episodes on this feed over the past few days. I promise it's not because I'm taking a vacation. It's because things have been busy here at Crack Rackets as this week we have the privilege of broadcasting the premier junior event on the U.S. calendar, the 2023 USTA Billie Jean King Girls 16s and 18s National championships where all the best junior talent in America comes together to compete for that elusive U.S. Open wild card. It's been such a pleasure for me to see Claire V. Gunue, for me to see Reese Brantmeyer, for me to get eyes on players like Tatum Evans. And honestly, I'm blanking on her name right now, the top seed in the 16th draw. I just don't want to butcher the pronunciation, but she's 13 years old. I think she's honestly already top 600 good. I mean, to see someone that proficient at just oh so many things. And look, we'll recap. Uh, Christina Luyatova, that's the name. There it is. Came back to my head. Anyways, I'm not going to get sidetracked. After the event is completed, and by the way, simultaneously right now in Kalamazoo is the USTA Boys 16s and 18s National Championships. As soon as these events are done, we'll bring on the GOAT, Colette Lewis. We'll break down the state of American junior tennis because I'll tell you what, after five days here in San Diego, I think the future is very bright. The level has been extraordinary. I've been chatting with college coaches who feel the same. They think this class of 2025 in particular, the rising juniors in high school, it's a really deep class. And I'll tell you what, again, the level you see, consolation draw, main draw, it doesn't matter. It's been an outstanding week of tennis. If you want to watch the conclusion, the home stretch, and this is where things get extra spicy. Again, the girls 18s competing for a U.S. Open main draw wild card. Girls 16s competing for a U.S. Open junior main draw wild card. There are high stakes, brings out the best in all these young competitors. It's been a privilege to be on the call for it. If you'd like to join us this weekend, you can follow it all on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That said, again, we've been very focused on that event here. It is draining these eight-hour broadcasts, and you know I've been on the road now for 20 days. I'm not exactly sure where I am when I wake up in the night in my bed. I'm like, which room is this again? Where? Which hotel am I currently at? Am I in LA? Am I in San Diego? I'm in San Diego. Rest assured, I have my bearings about me, but unfortunately, I just... I've been dead, haven't been able to make the time I would like to podcast, and really it's just because I haven't been prepared. I haven't been able to recap, uh, sort, uh, excuse me, sort my thoughts and, you know, watch film to fill any blanks I had. The good news, I suppose, for all of you listeners is I finally feel comfortable enough to do so. And so today will be a two mini break podcast Thursday. Each of these podcasts, about 20 minutes. I just want to offer my thoughts on everything that happened both last week because we never did offer those concluding thoughts on Title runs for Coco Goth, Stefano Tsitsipas, Dan Evans, Sebastian Baez, now Hibino. It was a really fun week of tennis last week. I have some lingering final thoughts in the back of my head that I do think are relevant as we turn towards the future, which of course will be part two of today's episodes. It's Canada week, Toronto, Montreal for the men and women respectively. We have Cincinnati on the horizon and then of course the granddaddy of them all, the U.S. Open. I do think last week foreshadowed some of the trends I think might unfold over the next few weeks and so on this 
part one of today's two podcast Thursday. I want to recap what happened last week, offer some final thoughts on those events. Part two will be Canada focused so that all of you listeners can feel prepared heading into what is quickly already approaching another championship weekend in the pro tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to spontaneously fire off a two mini break podcast Thursday is because of the support we get from all of you. And again, I apologize for the lack of episodes over the past few days. I'm going to make up for it here down the well, it's not really down the home stretch. As we get into the meat of the U.S. hard court calendar, of course, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. But with that said, let's get to it. Here's about 15, 20 minutes of thoughts on everything that happened last weekend in the pro tennis world. I want to start with Coco Goff because she obviously has become a polarizing prospect in tennis intelligentsia, tennis fan circles, right? You watch Coco Goff, who, by the way, still just 19 years old. She's been a top 10 player now for 18 months consecutively to do that prior to turning age 20, especially in this era where, you know, again, it's not the 70s, 80s, 90s, where these players, 16, 17, 18 years old, were sprinting towards the top of the game, were sprinting to Grand Slam titles like Celis, like Hingis, like Serena Sharapova, so many others. We're not in that era anymore. And obviously, I suppose we are in that era with Iga Sviantec. But, you know, you see it takes a little longer for players like a Barty or a Sabalenka or a Rybakina. Not that much longer, but a little longer for them to hit their stride. And the reason I go on that rant here to start is I think that's the that's where things feel off kilter in terms of expectations for Coco Goff because she has been a top 10 player now for 18 months. And, you know, the same problems have plagued her. Just players who can exploit that forehand return, that forehand extreme grip in particular. You think of the Iga Sviantex, you think of the Sabalenkas, the Rabakinas, the Madison Keys who beat her in Eastbourne, who just, again, powered through that forehand. Those are the players that have typically given Goff struggles. And, you know, again, I say that with the added perspective, she's 19 years old, and those are the best players in the world. She, it's it's kind of like a Yannick Sinner thing where you look for her now 40 and 20 in her last 52 weeks, 32 and 12, though, here in 2023. Her record against players ranked outside the top 20, 26 and 7. And by the way, a couple of those players, Keys, Potapova, who she lost to twice, are now inside the top 20. You look at her record against players outside the top 50, 21 and 1. And that one loss was a three setter to Sonia Kennan in Wimbledon. We all know the level Kennan is capable of playing. Here's my point as you develop in your career, all we can, you know, all the bread and butter is beating. And I say this figuratively, but beating who you're supposed to beat, whether it be you being highly more highly ranked than them, whether it be a player who doesn't have a weapon to particularly expose your weaknesses or, you know, again, whether it is your strengths are able to perfectly exploit their strengths, uh, their weaknesses, excuse me. And Coco Goff has done that now for 18 months. Again, 21 and one here against opponents ranked outside the top 50 this season. You look in the last 52 weeks, 26-1 by that metric. Again, 33-10 and 10 against opponents ranked outside the top 20 over her last 52 weeks. That's a 77% win percentage. Now, I get it. 7-10 and 10 against top 20 opponents. And by the way, three of those victories came last week in Washington. 2-7 and seven against the top 10. One of those victories coming last week in Washington. It's the final step. It's the final hurdle. It's the highest and most difficult hurdle to overcome 
in tennis, be entering tier one, being that elite of the elite prospect. And, you know, again, for Coco Goff, she's been someone who's one of eight players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage throughout the course of this season. Now, neither of those categories she's top 10 in. She's not elite at, well, her movement is elite. I think the way she competes is elite, but statistically, she doesn't have an elite number behind her at this point. And yet, it's a testament to you know, having no weaknesses either. Uh, no statistical weaknesses. Let me, let me clarify there. It's that a jack of all trades, the ability to do a little bit of everything. And again, if you don't have an elite first serve to capitalize on that Coco Golf forehand, you're not just going to hurt her easily on the return of serve. She finds ways to get depth on that forehand. If you leave a sitter to her backhand return, you are losing the point. I mean, obviously, the big deal for Coco Goff in Washington, D.C. is she did get a couple of signature victories. She beats a Belinda Bencic, who was one spot behind her in the points race here towards the year-end finals. Bencic has been a top-12 player all year long. She beats a Ludmilla Samsonova in the semifinals, who does hit the sort of ball, who does have the sort of power to perfectly exploit that Goff forehand. Wasn't able to do it. Goff was on top of everything. I thought she hit her spots particularly well on serve, saved all five break points she faced. And, you know, I've said this all season long. You see, we know about the double success. She's a top five doubles player in the world, which, by the way, doesn't get enough run. Top 10 in singles, top five in doubles. She's not even 20 years old. That's 1980s sort of special back when players used to play everything. I mean, you know the weakness. You you know people with elite pace are going to serve to her forehand. But you know who else knows that? Coco freaking Goff. And I thought the way she took that, you know, again, she baited Sakari. Served to the T. Served to the T on the deuce side. You know, um, I'm going to pinch over a little bit on the ad side as well. Dare you to hit the kick wide and think you're going to get by me with a first forehand. You're just not able to do that. You know, unless you execute at an elite level, the movement, the persistence, and that, that ability to turn defense to offense. Goff is an extraordinary player moving forward towards the net. She's not just a comfortable volleyer who knows where to go and what to do. She knifes the volley. She drives it well. I think she hits her overhead. Per, I would say it's a top five overhead on the WTA Tour right now in terms of just depth, placement, consistency, and confidence in hitting a lob when it is fired up in the air. Look, Maria Sakari was gassed. She had to play a doubleheader the day before. Then she has to, you know, again, play the semifinals because of rain. I'm not saying that's the reason she lost to Coco Goff. I'm saying I don't think we got Maria Sakari's best tennis due to those circumstances. But again, what this continues to prove is you need to play your best tennis to beat Coco Goff already at 19 years old. And I know the ceiling of a Sviantec, the ceiling of a Sabalenka in an individual match and the way they're in particular able to exploit Goff's weakness. I know that's a concern for Goff moving forward because she is someone who holds herself to the highest standards of she wants to win the biggest titles. She wants to compete for the biggest prizes. And those are the players you have to go through to do it. But again, context is key. And for someone who can already do so many things so successfully on the court and someone who is so willingly embraced tinkering with that forehand, maybe not the grip, but, you know, openly spoken about, yes, I know I need to work with this. She brings in, obviously, Brad Gilbert as a new set of eyes to help guide her through those things. It's just maturity. It's just, again, it's it's the total package. I, I know the forehand is a concern, but the totality of other things she can do top 10 player for 18 months and she just turned 19 this past March like again perspective is key and with that perspective Coco Goff is having a phenomenal season again she's top eight in the points race she's seven in the rankings 
she's where she wants to be heading into the meat of this North American hardcourt stretch. As for Sakari to beat Fernandez, Madison Keys in the same day to follow that up with a three-set victory over Jessica Pagula and you know get over that semifinal hump. She had lost, what, six consecutive semifinals, I believe, going into that DC semi with Pagula. Just steady the ship for soccer. I know she lost first round to Collins in Montreal. I think that's a schedule loss as much as anything else. And again, I don't think it was a bad choice for her to play DC. It was a 500 level event, but I liked what I saw from soccer. She got back to the basics. First serve, first forehand, dominate with the physicality. Now the serve was a struggle against Coco Goff, but I think, again, that had more to do with fatigue than anything else. You play Fernandez, Keys, Pagula, three matches in two days. Just imagine what that does to the body. Uh, Again, good week for Sakari. Retains her top 10 ranking for at least another week. JPEG into another semifinal. You know, again, Samsonova actually did a pretty good job defending her points. I know she only made semifinals, but keep in mind it was a 250 event last year, so she did a pretty dang good job defending her points. I think Benchich is playing well. You know, again, have quarterfinalists like Svitolina, etc. Everyone's playing well. We're, I think this is going to be a really competitive North American hardcourt stretch on the women's side. And, you know, I say that knowing full well, Iga and Sabalenka's best, in my opinion, are still definitively the the two best. I think Rabakina is in the conversation, certainly now that we're back on the quicker surface. But, you know, those two have sustained it all year long in a way, whether due to injuries or whatever. Rabakina has not. But that tier two is loaded. I mean, Pagula, Goff, if Sakari gets back to form, we know she belongs in the fringes of those conversations. Jabur, Mukhova, Vondrosova, Svitolina belongs in that conversation. I think Samsonova, if she starts heating up, can sneak into that conversation. Tier two is loaded because, again, I can tell you who I think the three best players in the world are. Four changes, depending on the week. And last week, Coco Golf looked like the fourth best player in the world. And again, 19 years old. That's a testament to where she is, uh, a testament to her persistence, how well she continues to compete. So shout out to Golf, Biggest title of her career. Gets it on home soil as well. She takes the title in D.C. By the way, shout out Marta Kostiuk. Makes a quarterfinal in D.C. I've said for a while, I think she has top 10 upside. I think we're starting to see all that come together here this season. But again, that's a lot of time on the DC women's draw. I, I The reasons being, I think that was the most significant result we saw throughout the course of the week. That said, to quickly run through everything else we saw last week. Let's move to Los Cabos next. Big week for Stefano Tsitsipas. He had struggled. It really, I, I, you know, by his standards, I know what the losses were to Medvedev in the Rome semifinals, Alcaraz in the Roland Garros quarterfinals, an informed Struff in the Madrid quarterfinals, Alcaraz in the Barcelona finals, Fritz in the Monte Carlo Masters quarterfinals. Quarter, final, quarter, semi, quarter in the five big events of the clay court season is not a bad stretch for Stefano C- uh, for any player on paper, but for Tsitsipas, it just felt a little off. And then, of course, we go into the grass court season. He loses three of four before getting knocked out by Chris Eubanks in the round of 16 at Wimbledon. You know, for Stefano Tsitsipas, who hadn't won a title all season long, yet had still been a top eight guy and been unequivocally tier two, but hadn't really sniffed tier one. You know, last week he looked like a guy who should be competing in the final weekend of a slam. And I think those Los Cabos high-bouncing, slow conditions, I think they were perfect for him. 
he thrived. His forehand, his serve were the two biggest weapons in every match that he played. He won over 80% of his first serve points in every match that he played. He was broken three times in four matches, dropped one set to Nicolas Iari, where, by the way, he was broken once, and yet the set he lost was a 7-6 set. And Yari's the sort of guy with his big first serve, big first forehand. Isner as well, the sort of guys who are built to exploit the Tsitsipas backhand return. They weren't able to do so. Like Tsitsipas is plus one. His serve is plus one forehand. I'll continue to say it. And this isn't a hot take, but it's just a reminder. It's one of the five most effective, most efficient combinations we have in all of pro tennis. And when he's confident, firing, fit, it was a stark reminder that his best tennis is tier one tennis. That, again, he just has that ability to take the racket out of the opponent's hand. It was a really good week for Demon, who just thrives in those Mexican conditions. I mean, again, down what he won the title earlier this year in Acapulco. And just physically, guy's a monster. It just feels like it is so hard to pass him on that surface where, again, things are slower, but it's hard court, so he moves that much more efficiently. Now, again, it was an easier draw for Demon, the big win coming over Tommy Paul in three sets. By the way, shout out to Dom Kofer. I mean, guy just cranks out another semifinal. After falling outside the top 100, he's back up to number 76 in the live rankings. You look for him now, last 52 weeks, 42-16, and 32-12 and 12 here this season, quarterfinals Atlanta, semifinals Los Cabos is a heck of a way for the 29-year-old to kick off his North American hardcourt stretch. He's just back in the conversation, is Kofer, with these two week runs. And, you know, it started really at the at the challenger level for him this season. It just speaks to confidence, breeds confidence. George losing in the semifinals to Tsitsipas needs to put some big results together. I know he lost first-round candidate. He's got to defend 1,000 points next week in Cincinnati. That'll be a precipitous fall down the live rankings. Again, though, the biggest story coming out of Los Cabos, no doubt, is Tsitsipas. He takes the title impressively so. First title of the year for the 24-year-old, turns 25 in two days. But a little gift for himself via the Los Cabos title. Uh, That's what happened there. Want to go to Prague next, and I'm going to rapid fire down the home stretch here. I talked so much last week about Linda Naskova. She makes the final, her second career final, second of the season at the tour level. God, I love her weapons. I mean, to watch her dust Schmidova 0-2, to watch her dust Korpats 1-1. I mean, look, did she get dusted in the final by an informed now Habino, who, by the way, didn't just win the singles, but won the doubles title as well, and I'm blanking on the stat. I'll try to get it for you all in part two later this afternoon, but... Not a lot of women have swept the singles and doubles titles at a single event over the course of the past five, ten seasons. I I know my boy Juan Ignacio, butchered the pronunciation, sent out the stat on Twitter, so I'll go look it up. But for me, the story is Naskova, back up to number 71 in the live rankings after reaching the final. She just has the ability to take the racket out of your hand. I mean, her weapons, her technique, the gumption, the moxie, it's in front of a home crowd. I love Naskova's game. Like, I put her right up there in the conversation of young prospects, right up there with Andriva. You know, right up there with... It's not fair to put her on the golf tier yet because we haven't seen the pedigree of tour-level success, even though, you know, Naskova turns 19 this season. Her and Goff are both 2004s. But Naskova is in the conversation. She moves well enough to find her weapons in interesting spots on the court, Again, credit to Habino, story of the week, no doubt. A lot of players 
took advantage of what, again, when the top three seeds all got knocked out in the opening round of play. Shout out to Jacqueline Christian making a much-needed semifinal and getting, what, her three of five wins she's earned so far on the season here this past week. Uh, excuse me, three of six wins she's earned came this past week. She's 7-19 and 19 now in her last 52, 6-12, and 12, but has a, pro, a 250 level semifinal on her belt, under her belt. It's a nice thing to be able to latch on to. Uh, again, I, I think the biggest development is that Naskova's real, and we're back on the hard courts, and don't forget about the power tennis she can play. If she beats someone big at a at a big event, I don't think she's in the draw in Canada. Maybe she will make it through qualifying in Cincinnati. Certainly, she can do some damage at the U.S. Open. Let's keep her eye on her because God is the soon-to-be 19-year-old extraordinarily talented. Last two quickly. I don't know. A good week for Dan Evans. God, did he need it, having lost eight of his last nine coming into the week to beat Francis, beat Grigor, beat Griekspoor, all in straight sets, was broken, you know, once in those three matches, he just feels the ball really well around the court. Now, he lost first round to Gab Diallo in Toronto, but again, I view that as a schedule loss, particularly given the rain we saw in Washington, things compounding towards that championship weekend in terms of the totality of tennis you had to play. By the way, Diallo's now beaten him twice in the past two months. That's We see you, Gab. That's, that's my guy, the former UK All-American. We'll talk about him in part two. Needed it. Somehow, despite losing eight of his last nine, you win a 500-level title, biggest title of his career, up to a new career high, number 21 in the live rankings. By the way, you know who else is up into the new career high? Finalist Talon Griekspor, who in reaching the final in D.C. now made has made three finals here this season. Punai, uh, Den Bosch, Washington, D.C., it's been a really good, uh, you know, again, it's been a really good season for Greek sports. Dealt with some health issues, but I don't know if he's exceptional at anything. He's really good at everything, and he's sneaky springy. So, again, good week for Greek sport. For Fritz to go find uh, title Atlanta semis in Washington, that's a lot of tennis over a two-week stretch. I actually think that's a pretty good run for him. J.J. Wolf into a quarterfinal, obviously, that's a good run for him. Disappointing loss for Francis. You can tell how much pressure he puts on himself to have success in uh, D.C., but again, Dan Evans, much-needed title. He gets the job done. Anything changed status quo-wise coming out of Washington? No, J.J. Wolf's one of the top 25 players on hard courts. I think I've said that for a little bit. Fritz is a top 10 guy on hard courts. Just look at the hardware he has. Shout out Indian Wells. Evans, Greek sport is a top 30 guy, period. Like, just period. You got to bring your best ball because if you don't have a big weapon to hurt him, he's just going to methodically beat you down and find just enough forehands to get the job done. Uh, that would be the DC option. Uh, that would be my DC recap. And last but not least, Kits Buell. Look, Sebi Baez is one of the 20 best players in the world on clay courts. Did he have the best clay court season this year? No. Uh, but in in knocking out Molchan, Carbaez Baena, a quarter finalist at the French Open, Tomas Martin Echeverry, and then a three and one win over Dominic team who just was out of gas. I mean team overcoming a set deficit in the what set uh, round of sixteen quarterfinals and semifinals. And by the way, his opening round match was a six and six victory. First final for Dominic Team at the tour level since the tour finals back in November of 2020. I, look, it took Team some time to work his way into matches. I thought by the end his serve, his forehand were firing like it was 2020. But again, that bias serve 
first forehand when he has a little time to just explode through it. Ugh. His racket speed is incredible. His his ability to drive a ball, the pace he plays with, it, it's extraordinarily impressive. So again, shout out to Sebi Baez. Uh, he wins the title in Kitzbühel. You look for Baez now. Overall, it is his what? I want to say third clay court title of his career at the tour level. He won in Estoril. He won in Cordoba. He won in Kitzbühel. Yes, it is indeed his third career pro title. And, you know, again, despite being under 500 over the last 52 weeks, you win enough titles as he has title this year in Cordoba, title, excuse me, this year in Cordoba and Kitzbühel. It's going to keep you in the hunt. Number 42 in the live ranking is going to get to play all the big hard court events, continue to work on his craft on that surface. Again, shout out to Echeverry, proving that he is one of those top 25 guys on clay. It's always great to have a resurgent Dominic team week in every match he played. Laszlo Jura, who goes finals, Hamburg, semifinals, Kitzbühel, back-to-back weeks. He's playing good ball. Arthur Rinderknecht, quarterfinalist in Kitzbühel, seems to have gotten his mojo with the prospect of falling outside the top 100 ahead of him. But again, the big news, Sebi Baez, title over Dominic team. Uh... With that said, that's your recap of everything that happened last week in the pro tennis world. Of course, we will be back later today to offer you a second 20 minutes of thoughts on all things Canada, Montreal, Toronto, what's happened so far, what to watch moving forward. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break. We'll talk to you all later. Thanks, everyone.